what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films. This is our film review and discussion show here on TheMesh.TV, where we talk about films and movies and things that we've seen, things we want to see. And with me, as always, Mr. Chris Fry. Chris, how you doing, bud? I'm doing good. Yeah? Survived the little bit of winter weather in North Carolina. The snowpocalypse? Had. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we did have quite the downpour of snow, but it's already gone as of today, or pretty close to gone anyway. So that was nice. Didn't inconvenience things too, too bad. Just a couple of days of some fraught travel there and all, but uh, we're back on track. We're back in the recording studio, ready to go. Uh, here's the show we've got lined up for you today. We're going to be reviewing the film Inside Lewin Davis that we just attended a screening of last night. Then we'll be reviewing insert name of film review after that we haven't quite recorded our second review so that'll be a nice surprise when you get to that part of the show to see which one we actually ended up reviewing so as of this recording eh, we don't have it figured out yet but it'll be plugged in by the time you listen to this (laughs) so it's kind of like you're going to hear the future before we're hearing it now which is kind of kind of cool so (laughs) then we're going to talk a little bit about uh some news mainly we're going to talk about films coming out in 2014 we have put 2013 to bed other than when we get our reaction to the Oscars and what they got right or wrong right. when that comes out in a few weeks. Otherwise though, let's start looking at this year and talk about the movies coming out this year. We're most interested in seeing, and then we'll cap it off with our recommendation of the show for an online or rental that you can check out that we think uh, you might enjoy. So with that, Chris, are you ready to get started? Absolutely. Let's jump right into the first film we're going to review, which is the Coen brothers latest film inside Lewin Davis. What'd you say you played? Folk songs. Folk songs. Solo act? No, I had a partner. Threw himself off the George Washington Bridge. George Washington Bridge? You throw yourself off the Brooklyn Bridge, traditionally. George Washington Bridge. Who does that? If I had wings, I'd know In Inside Lewin Davis, the Coen brothers take us on a little trip where we get to explore basically the week in a life of a folk singer, young folk singer in the Greenwich Village area of New York. And as he travels between there and Chicago, a gentleman named Lewin Davis, as you probably could figure out from the name of the the movie itself. (laughs) And this is a film all about what's going on inside of Lewin Davis's both his head, emotions, experience, disappointments. I can't say there's a lot of joy because there's not a lot of joy in the film, but basically we get to see the life of a very unknown uh, and personality (laughs) uh, hampered individual as he tries to navigate the folk scene back in the 1960s. So it's a period piece. It's the Coen brothers. Uh, We've talked about some Coen brothers films in the past shows before, not only reviewed a couple, but I'm sure I know many of them have popped up as some of our recommendations or ones we've brought up as films that we really like. Chris, you and I are both Coen Brothers fans, although yeah. we're not we're not the fans that just love every single film they've done. There's actually quite a few we both either don't really care for or seem to be a little more on the bottom of the list as far as our Coen Brothers films. Sure. So I guess the biggest way I hate the whole idea of ranking films because it does seem to kind of put this force the label on a film and where it has to fall numerically in a list. But just for kicks, how about you tell me after watching this film, where in their filmography, where would you put it? Is this in the top half of their films? Is it in the bottom half? And if you want to be even more daring, can you tell me what films of their filmography this is more in line with as far as your preference? Hmm. Well, I think it definitely, it was a good film and it definitely is not like in the bo- I wouldn't rank it in the bottom of their film work. I, having just seen it last night, it's a film that you definitely need to, or at least I do, wrestle with mm-hmm. because there's some ideas that are running through the film and it's it ends up not being linear. Uh, there's kind of a circular notion mm-hmm. to it about the story and that kind of took me a little bit by surprise. Okay. And then actually, you know, the credits were rolling and I couldn't even focus on you know who the people were in the movie or who had, you know, done the 
craft services because I was trying to figure out, okay, wait, how does that work within the context of the film? Well, and it should be said that too. I think the reason it kind of throws you for a loop too is that there was no disjointed structure to the film up until really the last five, 10 minutes of the film. Correct. So it's not like it, you were expecting it to be kind of a Pulp Fiction thing where things were out of order and all that. And you knew that pretty much from the first few minutes. Correct. This was truly the whole film seemed fairly linear until the last 10 minutes is like, wait a minute, maybe it wasn't linear what I just saw. Or maybe it was. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a yeah. big question to ask there. Right. Sure. And so that my immediate reaction was, you know, honestly, I was irritated because, mm. because I wasn't, you know, it took me by surprise, but it like took me out of the film because I couldn't concentrate even though the credits were rolling, but it, it was kind of frustrating at first. Mm-hmm. But the more I think about it, the more I reflect on it, the more I admire what they were doing as to sure. why they were doing it. You know, it was, it's kind of like their previous, a previous film, a serious man. It kind of lets you think about it on your own. It's not mm-hmm. going to give you any easy answers. And, so for that matter, I guess it does kind of float to the top. Is it going to pass, in my book, Big Lebowski, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, Raising Arizona? No. Which would be some of your favorites. Which would be those would kind of be right. you know, in the, my top three. Sure. Um, some of the ones you referenced that are not as big for me, you know, mm-hmm. Burn After Reading, mm-hmm. Fargo. Mm-hmm. Those, you know, The Man Who Wasn't There, mm-hmm. those are less. And, of course, you know, everybody's going to bash on the lady killers. Well, yes, there's that. Um, those are, you know, lower down the totem pole. Mm -hmm. Um, but it definitely floats up near the top of some of my favorites of theirs. Um, so it's in the top half of the filmography. You, you enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm with you on that too. I, it's probably middle of the road, maybe a little bit on the upper side of their filmography for me as well. I mean, but again, their filmography, I like most of the films they've made. So it's not like it's, you know, being in the, in the midpoint or top half is still pretty good. A bad film film. for the Coen brothers is a good film for anybody else. Pretty much for most other people. Yeah. I, I, I'm wrestling with the end a little bit. I'm wrestling with some other questions that were brought up in the film that thankfully they don't spell out for you. There weren't beat you over the head with their messages. I mean, a lot of it is you're just kind of processing on your own. It was a very dark film. It was a very down film. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also think there might've been, maybe the ending did point us in the direction of there being possibly some hope. I don't know. There's a lot of different ways you can interpret it. It's either showing us that it's all uh, pointless and we're just lost, lost in the shuffle day to day, or it could have been pointing us to something might be changing going forward. I don't know. Sure. That's what I'm still kind of dealing with. And then the question about the cat, if you've seen the trailer, <laughs> uh, the cat is a key player in the film and there's, some role the cat's playing and uh, you know it's never quite 100% spelled out and I think I've come up with four different theories of my own since the screening last night. <laughs> I still have my favorite theory at the moment which I could argue with. Maybe we mention it in spoiler stuff here at the end. Okay. Um but let me let me ask you about some of the performances and ask you about the actual filmmaking style of the Cone Brothers. First sure. with the acting. Uh we've got Oscar Isaac starring as Lewin Davis mm-hmm. and Oscar Isaac He's been in a lot of films, but it's been a lot of small parts. He has not led a film, to the best of my knowledge, from what I could tell or have I seen. You've got Carrie Mulligan starring as Gene, his ex-lover, who's also a folk singer. Mm-hmm. got John Goodman as a very interesting character, like he is in most Coen Brother films he, he appears in. Roland Turner, a jazz performer that uh, uh, Lewin meets on his way to Chicago. Uh, and then you've got a few other people. Justin Timberlake plays a small role as another folk singer named Jim. So... Interesting cast. I think the fact that they put a lot of weight on Oscar Isaac as the one performer, I don't think there's a scene we see that he's not in. Yeah, I think he's, he done. I think it's pretty much everything's from his point of view. Sure. So how did Mr. Isaac do in his first true leading role for a pretty big film for him? I, you know, I was, I was really impressed. I I pretty much, I'd heard the name, but I think just because of this movie. So I thought he was amazing. Um, It says something too, where, We've talked in recent podcasts, Wolf of Wall Street specifically, I'm thinking about where maybe you don't like the person and that can infect, that can affect whether or not you're interested in the film or whether mm. you just kind of get bored by or something. Lewin Davis, he's a, he's a tough guy for oh, me yeah. to really get behind in life. I, the opening scene, which speaks to like Coen Brothers style, is very intent on him and very close up on him singing a song. And mm-hmm. so you kind of get like, okay, obviously the title of the movie, this is going to be all about him. And I don't like him, but I can see his talent, and that helps me stick with the movie because you're just—you know—it's kind of like the suffering artist, but yet 
he's he's an interesting person enough that I want to keep with the movie. Yeah, and I, I think, think a lot of that's his I think it's interesting. I don't think you necessarily have to like him, but you can at least understand sometimes where he's coming from. He's somebody who we come to find out is you know dealing with the grief of losing a a musical partner. We find that out very early in the film. Right. So that's hanging over the film pretty much for its entire duration. He doesn't connect. He's not very good around people. No. Uh, he does not have very good social skills. No. He's very opinionated. Yeah. Um, he's bad-mouthing a lot of other performers, even though, quite honestly, a lot of the other songs we heard in the movie were pretty good. And you know, but he's just very opinionated about his own style. And here's, here's speaking mm. a little bit about uh, Isaac's performance. He doesn't even have to bad-mouth him. Oh, yeah. Sometimes he's just, just watching them. Yep. And his body language... Such face, disdain says it yeah, enough. He right. doesn't have to say anything. You're just like, you know, and yeah, you're right. You listen to music like this music's pretty good. It may be yeah. different from what he's doing, but he just doesn't even. Yeah, he's, he's just very self-centered in this thing. Yeah. But at the same time, he's not an evil person. I mean, he's yeah. not going out to wreck people's lives. He's right. just making really poor decisions along the way, guided by emotion, guided by pride. So, you know, it's like it's not like the Jordan Belfort character in Wolf of Wall Street where Correct. you just don't like the guy. I don't like the guy. Right. We're not supposed to like him. Uh, we may be entertained by him at points. We may be fascinated by him, but we don't like him. Right. Lewin Davis is a character that he's not a good guy, but we can at least understand some of what he's going through. And we can sympathize to some degree with somebody who's just so guided by their own emotions and passion and opinions and self-assurance that he gets himself so frustrated. You know, it's his own doing in most cases. And I think that's a good jumping point with, like you're saying, he's not a bad guy, but you do get irritated with him to talk about Carrie Mulligan. Okay. Uh, she, I really enjoyed her role in this movie. Okay. Um, yes, it was a smaller part, you know, it's a supporting mm. part, but she usually plays like vivacious, mm. happy, innocent <laughs> girl. And in this movie, she plays a very bitter oh. ex-girlfriend and she keeps just tearing Lewin Davis down mm-hmm. and she keeps referring to him as a bag of expletive and just keeps saying yep. that over and over and getting, and it's just like, wow. you know. Mm-hmm. And so there again, you see like, okay, maybe the guy is making bad choices, but he is clearly not as bad as this girl is just giving him what for. Well, she's, <laughs> you know, and I think the way, I mean, you look at it from any relationship that goes sour and I think she's hurt, she's bitter. And sure. of course she knows a lot more about him and knows that his choices and the bad decisions he makes are pretty common. And it's not just with her, right? but you do admit by the end of the film, she still has shown that there's at least a compassion towards him. Sure. Even if she still doesn't respect him and thinks he's a bag of, you know what? Um, <laughs> Excrement. Yeah. It's just, she's, she's obviously very passionate about the situation that he's put her in and all the complications he's caused her. Right. No, I, I think it was good to see her play Carrie Mulligan play a part that wasn't sweet and mm-hmm. nice and pleasant. I mean, she was very, very bitter and very, very angry and uh, foul mouthed and everything else. And it was just, <laughs> You know, it was an interesting part to see her play. I'll agree. She she did a good job with it. I thought um, so. I, I like seeing her on screen, so I would have been happier seeing her, her part be a little larger. But sure. she served the purpose of the story that it needed her her too. Uh, any other performances stand out to you? I mean, we've got John Goodman. We've got Garrett Hudlin as Johnny Five, the uh, basically <laughs> the driver for yep. Mr. Turner. Um, right. He, I was confused by that part, actually. The, the Johnny Five character, if – if there was one that I wanted more just because he seemed interesting, but it yeah. was just kind of, he was the quiet man and they weren't going to give us any more from his character. I wish I could have gotten more. There could have been a little bit more humor there. Or yeah. No, it felt but, like it was building to something and it never, never really paid really. off with him. So that was, right. it was one of those, those interesting, uh, Coen brother characters that sure. you kind of wanted to learn a little bit more about. I'll tell you two more interesting characters that I wish we had more time with, uh, Al Cody, <laughs> one <laughs> yeah. of the, uh, one of the performers who uh, recorded a session with Lewin Davis and ended up letting Lewin crash at his apartment for a little while. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Not only interesting looking guy and sounding guy, but just seems like he's got a lot of backstory that I wish we had more time to dig into. Right. And in, but, a, and in kind of what you've touched on, in a darker movie, he was definitely some comedic relief. Yeah, and you wanted sure. to kind of hang out with him a little bit more. Yeah, sure. played by Adam Driver, which I, I'm not familiar with anything he's done. I think he's only been in the, the movie uh, or the TV show Girl. Uh, Girls, okay. and that's the one on HBO. I think he's on that. And then uh, Stark Sands plays Troy Nelson, who's another singer, but he's also in the military. Just, again, another interesting <laughs> Coen Brothers character mm-hmm. where it's just, 
you, you think you know them on the surface, but you then start to realize there's probably a little bit more to them than what you realize. And I think that was another one of those characters that Lewin encounters along the way. And I think really kind of helps build the story. He, up. he was the, the military officer. That's right. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was interesting too, that at first, the way he's portrayed, I was kind of disappointed. It was very caricaturish, almost yeah. over the top. Yeah. And then Lewin has another encounter with him and then he, kind of deepens his understanding of that guy. And yeah. I really appreciated that, that touch, that, that, that interchange. Yeah. You, you mentioned Justin Timberlake. I really like Mr. Timberlake. Uh, and in we can movie, admit it. Yeah. yeah he's I good. Mean, you know, I'm a fan, you know, Grant, I saw him in runner runner and he was horrible with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, but it sounds like the whole movie was pretty well, bad right, for that. It's yeah. not his fault. He, I think is a good actor and, you know, I really liked him in the social network. And in this movie, he is willing to let himself look dumb. Yeah. And I think that says a lot. You know, I guess you could guess that from when he does stuff on Saturday Night Live. But and his I really enjoyed his singing performance, too, because mm-hmm. he was taking it seriously. But yet at the same time was able to be comedic about it. I, don't, mm-hmm. it, I just I really, really. Well, he's really, a talented really guy. It. And I'm glad to see him doing interesting roles like this and not just going the Hollywood pure uh, big box office route, like you know, you could expect him to do. Right. Uh, hopefully, I mean, if I could put thoughts into Mr. Timberlake's head, maybe <laughs> it's you know what you made enough money already from your touring and your albums and all that. You're set. Go keep experimenting with the film side. Do some fun character roles and see where things go. I so. mean, if the Coen Brothers, this is like their second. They did Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which used a lot of music. This movie obviously has folk music. If they're going to continue to do music movies, I hope they keep Justin Timberlake in mind. It's somebody to keep using. Absolutely. What did you think of the music? I mean, and and, and not only whether you're a fan of folk music style, but the way it was handled in the film, the way it was used in the film, the performances recorded. I mean, what what, what was your thoughts I thought the shooting of the different different performances Mm -hmm. was excellent. I, I liked the music in the film. In general, folk music is kind of hit or miss for me. I'm mm-hmm. not a really big fan, but in the movie, having seen the songs in the movie, those I am interested in, um, and specifically the one they, I'm assuming, created for the movie, the mm-hmm. Mr. Kennedy. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really like that. That was one. a fun, fun song. Which I guess is not much folk music because it was just a really odd song. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> odd song, but fun, catchy. But yet again, that was another example of a, of a song that was a catchy song, and I could have heard that being a hit at that right. time. Uh, again, Lewin Davis, just you could just tell, oh, yeah. hated it <laughs> and hated being a part of it and didn't want anything to do with it. But again, come to find out that that could have been actually a chance for him to get some of the fame that he so desperately wants. So, you know, it's just another interesting example of missed opportunities and bad choices for him. And, uh, you know, I'll say, um, another performance, we obviously Alan and I, this, it's a Coen brothers movie. You have a lot of different characters, a lot of good, solid characters that almost could do their own little movie. F Murray Abraham plays a club owner and that Lewin Davis goes to see in Chicago that you referenced. And I really enjoyed those two kind of squaring off against one another. Sure. Yeah. And there again, speaks to the strength of Oscar Isaac. He didn't, it wasn't like he was a dwarf in the presence of a giant. Cause that Murray Abraham, mm-hmm. he's a big, you know, he's big acting in the back, sure. acting world. And they were like toe to toe and held. I would have actually loved to have seen more of that interchange mm-hmm. and more of that encounter between the two of them and playing uh, F Murray Abraham played Bud Grossman. I, uh, I guess a club owner up in Chicago that Lewin was hoping he could get some gig work with. Right. Um, so uh, overall, it sounds like we're, we like the film. We didn't love the film. I'm same way as you. I mean, I'm not putting it as one of the top films of the year for me, but I did like it. Glad mm-hmm. I saw it. Few things I wish, I, I wish I had a little more clarity, but it's probably just more for me about the ending and the framework and some of the, the, the reasoning behind some of the, the, the moves they made in the film. But I enjoyed the music. I really enjoyed Oscar Isaac's performance as well. Um, so yeah, overall, uh, I'm going to give it a I'm going to give it a good positive review. So well, we can't get out of this sound without you at least telling me one or two theories about what the cat represents. All right, so are you putting up the spoiler <laughs> tags then? Is yes. that okay? So although if, technically this isn't too spoilery, I mean, but yeah, we'll still put this at the end of the show if that's okay. Right, right. So we're going to go ahead and say maybe we'll talk about this for five minutes or so. So yeah. if you want to skip now, okay, haven't seen the movie, then do. Well, so. let's just do that. We're going to do it right now and skip ahead if you haven't heard the movie, seen the movie, or uh, if you don't want to be spoiled to it or whatever, but I don't think we're really giving away anything. It's more so. theories. So the cat, okay. So the cat shows up pretty early, like 
early, early in the film. Correct. And basically accompanies Lewin through a good part of his journey. We come to find out about midway through the film that the cats got switched. Basically, he lost the cat, thought he found the cat. Turned out it was a different cat than what it was. Right. So the question is, what does the cat represent? Now, And then at, and then at one point, mm-hmm. we think he's killed the cat that was switched. Yeah, he actually hits an animal on the road outside of Akron, Ohio, on his way back to New York. And, and he'd abandoned said cat. Well, actually, on his way to Chicago. That's right. 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 On, his way, on the way to Chicago, yeah. he abandoned the cat. Yeah. He's driving back through the same area. And he hits an animal that we only see off in the distance in right. the shadows. Looks to be like it could have been a cat limping off. Right. So here's my theory. Okay. Well, there's two theories I've, I've, I've was batting around. One was that the cat represents Lewin. Okay. Just, you know, he's, uh, his name is Ulysses. He's on a journey. Mm-hmm. He's meeting interesting characters along the way. But I don't know. That's almost too simple. Um, I think the cat maybe represents his dead partner. Um, okay. Mike. The one, Mike, the one who committed suicide. And here's my reasons for it. Okay. One, the cat lives at the condo of uh, a good friend, a good friends of Lewin, a couple that are very supportive of him and have let him stay there whenever he needs to. The cat lives there and they are, they were very close to Mike somehow. We don't know how. Right. I almost got the impression they were his parents at one point, but they almost seemed too okay with things to be his parent. Right. If he had committed suicide just within the last few months. Right. But I think they were still very close to him. Sure. The fact that the cat lived there kind of made me think, okay, so maybe maybe that's something there. The fact that the cat keeps trying to leave and Lewin actually wants to take care of the cat, mm-hmm. which Lewin's obviously very affected by the death of his partner. Right. He's not very vocal about it, but you can tell it's still hanging really deep on him. And the fact that everybody's almost amazed that he's spending so much time focusing on the cat and trying to take care of the cat mm-hmm. when he doesn't really take care of people around him makes you wonder if like, okay, maybe, maybe he sees the, maybe the cat is kind of a representation of somebody that he let get away. Mm-hmm. Maybe if he attended to his friend and partner more, maybe he wouldn't have killed himself. I don't know. And then there was something I have to come back to. There's something. Okay. And then the, at the end, when it circles back around and we see him go through the same morning, what could be a second time, or it could be a redo of it. We're not really sure. Not really sure. Wakes up in the morning and the cat's getting ready to get out just like he did at the beginning of the film. And that mm-hmm. causes the whole chain of events for Lewin to be chasing the cat. Right. He stops him this time and says, nope, you stay here. Mm-hmm. See, to me, that's almost a little glimmer of hope. And that I think in a way, Lewin was so still hung up on his partner and that relationship and his partner's death. This time he says, you know what? No, you stay here. Right. I'm moving on. Right. And I think he tried to move on from when he left the cat in the car on the way to Chicago, but then he ended up hurting what may have been a cat. And he kind of put the two together and felt like, you know, that wasn't the right time to leave my partner. I still needed him because obviously he was trying to go get a solo gig in Chicago. And even F Murray Abraham was saying, you need to be part of a group. Like you're not a good solo act. So that's kind of my thinking with it. It's not a perfect theory, but I could see that being somewhat of the, maybe what they're trying to get across. Right. And I, I'm, I, I'm there with you. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting that he stops the cat from getting out, yet he still, I believe, he still goes on to make a really serious mistake. Does he stop the cat from getting out and then heckle somebody? Or is, does he heckle a performer and then stops the cat? Do you know what? I'm trying I to think spoil he heckles, a lot still. Well, I think he heckles the person and then the next morning – is when he stops the cat from leaving. Interesting. Because he gets punched the next night. Right. He when gets he goes punched back by, to perform. That's yeah, right. Right, right. So I do think, and I almost think in a way that even the last little bit with Lewin, you know, he just got punched by this guy. He's sitting there laying in the alley. He's kind of broken and bruised. But I think the fact that he's got a little bit of a, what does he say? Does he say au he's revoir? Like, au revoir. Yeah. yeah. I think that's almost a little bit of a, you know what? Yeah, I deserve that. Yep, I got to take my lumps, but I'm I'm kind of ready to start crawling back into this thing. And that's the hope. That a little mentioned. bit. I I'm kind of there with you. Um, I'd never had really considered it being Mike. I'd actually, in the film, he's trying to get the gore finds. I can't yes, remember the last that's the, name. that's the couple that he stays with a lot. The cat gets out. He's trying to get the cat back to them. He... And he calls the university, I guess, where the guy teaches. Right. And he's talking to a secretary and he's like, hey, I just want to get this cat back. And she's like, you know, tell him Lewin's got the cat. And the woman's like reading back to him. He's like, okay, Lewin is the cat. And she's like, (laughs) no. You know, and like, I don't know if that was the Coen brothers kind of hinting like, I think they were having fun with that. Lewin is the cat. 
Or saying, you know what, you may think Lewin is the cat, but Lewin's not not. the cat. Right. Well, and then there's an incredible journey poster that Mm -hmm. you see that shows animals and there's a cat involved that's like, okay, the cat's been on a journey. You've been on a journey. So, yeah, I mean, it could work either way. Yeah. Um, so and that's, and I don't think it's meant to be one or the other. Oh, no. I think it's just whatever All you interpret above. it as. I mean, it could have just been, they thought it'd be funny for him to have to carry a cat everywhere he goes. Who knows? Right. I mean, <laughs> it does make for a striking picture, you know, him riding the subway and riding in a car and having to hold on to a cat the whole time. So I, I read online that. Joel, which we know online is always the Bible. Anything Absolutely. that's online is yeah. gospel truth. Sure, of course. But uh, one of the Cohen brothers, Joel, said that on drafts of the screenplay, they'd written it and they liked it, but the problem was it didn't have any plot, so they threw a cat in there. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. they're like, okay. Yeah, that works. So. so, you know, it's interesting to think how much of a part that ends up playing, or at least I feel like it does. So, yeah, interesting. Don't know what it means, but it doesn't really yeah. matter. I still right. like it. So that's uh, in spoilers. We're done yeah. talking about Lewin Davis. Again, I don't think it really spoils the film for anybody. No. If anything, it may even make you more curious to want to go see it now. So True. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick uh, little – no, actually, well, let's not take a break. Let's jump right into our insert name of movie review right now. I don't know what we're getting ready to review. <laughs> I will find out for myself here in just a moment. Awesome. So moving on to our next review, which is – I am so pumped up! Overpriced coffee. That's $37. Awesome. Everything is awesome. Oh my gosh, I love this song. Everything is awesome. No, guys, wait up. Where am I? Come with me if you want to not die. What is happening? You're the special. And the prophecy states that you're the most important person in the universe. That's you, right? Uh, yes, that's me. The Lego Movie, Alan. Yes. It's been described on Twitter as the Lego Movie cannot not make you happy. It's like (laughs) punching sadness in the face with a boxing glove made of jelly beans. Wow. I did not come up. Like I said, I borrowed that from Twitter. Oh, you borrowed that. So that's trademarked somewhere else. Right. Okay. So that was pretty clever. With that being said, Alan, yes. how did you feel about the Lego movie? I'll tell you with the Lego movie, and I probably, you know, when you hear everybody talking about how great a family movie is. awesome? Yeah, it's awesome. Everything about it is awesome? Everything about it is awesome. Okay. And we're not going to sing the song, because I I was humming it for a while (laughs) after the movie, but um, I thought it was pretty good. Wow. (laughs) It's like, how's that for a a ringing endorsement? pretty good. I thought it was okay. I thought it was fun. I did have a good time with it. Was it the movie event of the decade? Like I keep hearing people talk about with high ratings. It had some of the same shortfalls that I have with a lot of the family animated movies that are coming out these days. Very similar plot line, very similar story arcs on things, except... And we're not going to spoil it, but there is an interesting little twist towards the end that I wasn't expecting. Okay. Um, where they kind of mix the format a little bit, I guess we could say. Sure. Break, break the fourth wall a little bit, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, that part was really interesting and well done. But, you know, it, it was very creative. It was one of the most creative family animated movies I've seen in a really long time. And it was also one of the funnier ones, too. Mm-hmm. That being said, it's pro- I, I'm, I, I think I'm just getting old, Chris. No. I, I think the CGI, the over, it's just the the assault on your senses, which it still had in a lot of parts. True, still gets to me. I think anytime I watch a movie now where it's just so over the top energy and activity and CGI stuff going on. I just, I, I go a little brain dead during those times of the movie. I think but. you just need to see it again. Really? Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. I, I hear what you're saying, but mm-hmm. this movie for me, granted it's early in 2014. It is my favorite movie that I've seen really? in a long time. Wow. Okay. Well, um, very nice. Yeah. It's, I'm a, I think I may be championing this movie like I was Prometheus actually mm-hmm. come the year end. If it doesn't win an Oscar for best animated film, I I think there's a travesty, and I haven't seen any of the other animated films yet for 2014. You haven't seen I the really, Nut Job? No, thankfully. <laughs> actually, I did see uh, Peabody and Mr. Sherman. That was horrible. Okay, but let right. me use that as an example. Actually, uh-huh. that film and another one from a while ago to talk to our viewers. I think I've mentioned before Pirates of the Caribbean. 
and yeah. how that movie came out. And I thought it was good. I was like, that is the most worst idea for a movie ever. And people started saying, oh, it's good. Giant Depp's funny. I'm like, I don't care. It's a movie about a ride. How dumb can mm-hmm. that be? That will be horrible. I went to see it and I was wrong. I loved that movie. Yeah. Lego movie. I saw previews with my kids and we went to get, take them to go see Frozen. My son specifically, who, surprise, likes Legos, was like, Dad, I want to see that. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. And he had to drag me to that movie. The whole family went. And I was dreading it because I'm like, you know, it's just capitalizing on the Lego video games that they've made. Right. And they've made some straight-to-DVD movies that it's have a been big successful. big commercial for the, for the toy, and I just, the, the you know, product I was line. Like, and the preview actually did not win no. me over either. I mm-hmm. just was not impressed with the preview at all. And I went into this movie, and right from the beginning, I was like, wow, I think this is actually going to be worth something. Mm-hmm. And the whole time, I was entertained. Unfortunately, I did see it in a really big theater that was uh, this 2D thing, which basically means the screen's just really huge. Yeah, I, I, I did too. But yeah. The big D. Yes. <laughs> so I was, I was <laughs> yeah. crammed way up near the front, which made it very hard to see a lot of the action scenes. I wish I could have been farther back. But that was not enough to annoy me so that I, I didn't like the film. I oh, really good. liked it. And even the vocal performances in it, Liam Neeson is good cop, bad cop. Yeah. Uh, Chris Pratt, who's the lead. He is very funny. I thought he was awesome. Morgan Freeman, who does the, I just, it was, I was really, really pleasantly surprised. And I must say any film that I walk out of and I immediately buy something from that film, mm. that's a good sign. What did you buy? Oh, I bought everything. Everything is awesome. awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I now play it for my kids on the way to school every morning when I take them and, and they like it as well. Although I think it is wearing thin, um, yeah. but, but everything's awesome for a while, for a while. <laughs> but you know, that taking that song, which is a key part of the film mm-hmm. and kind of where the storyline goes, we haven't even talked about that, mm-hmm. but it's kind of this Lego world where everything is just so, and everybody obeys the rules and nobody tries to think outside the box. And they all everybody listen listens to the, to the same popular music. Right. Everybody watches the same TV show, which is where, where are my pants? Where are my pants? Which that's the thing that this film has going for it. I think is that it's perfectly fine for children, but there are things in there that mirror in a way idiocracy. Yeah, actually, I got a lot of idiocracy comparisons out of the film. But I didn't feel like they were ripping it off or anything. There's, you know, some Neo Matrix references in Mm -hmm. there. But it's not ripping it off. It's kind of paying homage to, but making it its own little animal. And that's what made this movie elevated it. And the song Everything is Awesome, which you've probably heard, is funny. But then if you actually listen to the words, they have the guys from Adam Sandberg or Andy Sandberg. The Lonely Island. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they like helped co-write it. And the lyrics are really, really clever. And if you Mm -hmm. actually listen to them, they're very funny. So it was it was really rewarding. And I think like this could actually challenge a Disney song for best original song next year in the Oscar because that song on the surface is very like light and frivolous, but if you actually listen to the words, it actually means something and plays a whole yeah. part in the movie. So I, I and, and don't let my somewhat tempered reaction at the beginning. <laughs> Come on, Alan, you. everything is awesome about this movie. <laughs> I I did everything was pretty good about this movie. <laughs> so it's pretty, it pretty good. Um, you know, I, I did enjoy it. It's just again, I think I'm just I think I'm just I think I'm just burnt out on on animation well, like computerized animation and although i do like the fact that it looks like many of the scenes they probably did use actual legos and make the scenes work it looked that way that way yeah but then when they get to the over the top big action sequences and it's just stuff going everywhere and all over the place i just i just my brain shuts down and says you know what just wake me up brain (laughs) when when they start talking again or (laughs) when dialogue's happening so that's a little bit of it for me but i do say i will say towards the end the kind of break in the format that they make in the film and Mm -hmm kind of take you by surprise with where they go with it. I thought was really great. It did get a little on the emotional side. I think some of the messaging that came across during that scene uh, was really well handled. Yeah. Uh, so I do I think it, so. it kind of hit the right emotional notes at the right time. The comedy levels was really good. And even though, you know, I, I thought the CGI action scenes were overdone overall, the animation style, keeping it as Lego like as possible was really, really good. So yes, this was a very good animated film. Was it my life-changing experience for me? No. But it was a very, very good film. I enjoyed it. I have to say, too, that I had seen Chris Pratt in 
Parks and Recreation. I mean, mm-hmm. I've seen a couple episodes of the show. I'm not a like follower, you know. And he was one of my favorite things about the movie Her, which we reviewed mm-hmm. here on the show. His role in this movie, he was the lead, and Will Ferrell was the main bad guy against uh, Chris Pratt's uh, character, Lord L- Business. Lord Business, yeah, or Lord President. Lord President and yeah, Lord Business, Lord Business both, yeah. yeah. So, well, that was a spoiler. We probably should have told everybody it's the same person. <laughs> oh, it's revealed. I think you know that pretty early on. Okay. <laughs> so Chris Pratt, I think, is maybe going to be my new Will Ferrell. He's I got the same chops. I mean, he he's he's good. And I'll tell you. And Guardians of the Galaxy, I am now on, but which I think I saw a preview for that, not in front of the Lego movie, but I've seen a preview somehow. Mm-hmm. And I liked the preview. Mm-hmm. And after seeing the Lego movie, I'm like, okay, Chris Pratt. I don't think you yeah. can knock on wood. I don't think you can do any wrong right now. Mm-hmm. I am on board with seeing Guardians of the Galaxy. All right, good, <laughs> good. We, we will we will make sure we check that out together when okay. it comes out. I guess uh, late this summer. Okay, and uh, we'll make sure we review that. But Lego Movie. I mean, yeah, we both recommend it. Chris highly, highly recommends yes. it. I recommend it with gumption. <laughs> so. Well, and definitely. Choose that over uh, Peabody and Mr. Sherman. Well, I mean, there again, I, I really have resisted going to any CGI animated film for months now. And uh, luckily my kids are kind of to the point where, you know, they're, they don't, they're not really as much into that anymore. They want the action movies. They sure. want all that. So they want the Avengers. They want the Avengers. They're looking forward to Captain America here in a couple of weeks as am I. But, um, but the Lego movie, a lot of fun, great for the whole family. Definitely a good movie. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films. So you just heard our reviews of Inside Lewin Davis and Untitled Mystery Film that we ended up reviewing ourselves. So And wasn't it good? Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure both reviews were excellent, well done uh, reviews. So Chris, now's the time of the show where we normally go through some news. I think last time we got together, we talked about the Oscar nominations mm-hmm. and kind of went through our list of what we liked, what we didn't like, all the nominations, our picks for the ones we hope will win or should win. So if you're curious about listening to those and you missed it go under our the uh, mesh tv website and you can pull up last week's or not last week's but two weeks ago's episode uh of foot candle films so go to the mesh.tv and look for foot candle films and you should see a list of all of our back episodes you can go back and explore of course you can always find us on itunes and stitcher radio as well uh, but here we are. Let's talk about 2014 a little bit. Okay. Now, during our new segments over the last several months, we've been hinting at or talking about early production notes on some of these films. But here we are. We're actually two months into to, to 2014 already. Uh, you know, the, the summer movie season is going to be coming, the awards season at the end of the year, everything in between. There's a lot of interesting films to be keeping our eyes on. So how about let's do this, Chris? I've got a I've got a few on my list. I think you've got a few on yours. Okay. Let's kind of trade back and forth. Let's let's talk about the films we're the most interested in. Now keep in mind, guys, this is not us saying that these films are going to be awesome. Some of these films could be really, really bad. It's true. These are just ones that either the director, the cast, the premise, or something has got us excited about it. So hopefully we're not going in with too high expectations for any of these films. But these are the ones we're most looking forward to. What's uh, what's one you've got on your list there, Chris? Well, I'm I'm looking highly and looking forward to uh, Interstellar by Christopher Nolan. I've got that on my list as well. Yes. Yeah, that you know, I what edges it? You know, not only do I really like the director, but it's going to have like a space science fiction mm-hmm. type vibe to it. And as listeners to the podcast know, I tend to be kind of a fool for those type things. Mm-hmm. So that's one that I'm highly anticipating. Plus. It's got uh, Matthew McConaughey. Who's, who's on quite have, a role right yes, now. Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Jessica Chastain, also great performer right now, doing a lot of great work. Anne right. Hathaway. Right. Uh, standard Michael Caine. You know, you can't be in a Christopher Nolan movie, it looks like these days, without having Michael Caine in it. So, And actually, one of my favorite science fiction movies, I guess, uh, actually stars Matthew McConaughey in it, and it's Contact. Oh yeah, the, the uh, Jodie Foster and, and, right, uh, and Maya right. Robert Zemeckis film, mm-hmm. and it you know is kind of a re, well I guess quote unquote reality based science yeah. fiction film, but really 
cleverly done. It's one of those movies that if I ever saw it on cable and I came in, I'd just, just watch, watch it, it to the end. Absolutely. I really like that movie. I'm with you on that one. I don't think I've ever actually mentioned Contact before on I don't show. think you have. I'm actually kind of surprised that you like it that much because I do too. Yeah. I think it's really good. I think it was very underrated when it came out. didn't get quite the attention it should have. I agree. Uh, and Matthew McConaughey was good in it. He was still fairly fresh as an actor at that point. I think so. Maybe his only second or third big role he had made. Uh, but I love that film. I think it's great. If we've got anything close to that kind of real uh, science fiction grounded in real reality uh, with this kind of cast, I'm, I'm terribly excited as well. Me too. Christopher Nolan has not gone wrong in my book yet. Every film he's made, I even if I didn't love it, I appreciated what he was doing. Got you. Dark Knight Rises, I didn't love. I thought was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I almost felt like he kind of had to it's kind of the movie he had to make as opposed to the one he maybe wanted to make. make. Um, And then I still think the uh, prestige is a great movie. One of my favorites as well. So yeah, interstellar. I had that on my list as well. Very, very interested in that one. Uh, Let me mention another one. uh, Gone girl by David Fincher. This one's coming out in October. And I guess I should say interstellar slated for November right now. So both of these are going to be quite a ways off still. But Gone Girl is a David Fincher's film he's working on releasing this year, starring Ben Affleck, uh, the new Batman himself. It's a nice segue there. <laughs> uh, Rosamund Pike, uh, Neil Patrick Harris. Kind wow. of interesting. So this is basically a th- crime thriller based on a novel by Gillian uh, Flynn, best-selling novel I have not read. Um, recently laid off journalist, a suspected of murdering his wife. And then uh, who mysteriously disappeared on their five-year wedding anniversary. Supposedly lots of twists and turns and all that going on as well. Uh, you know, David Fincher, uh, The Social Network, I thought was great. I uh, really enjoy The Social Network. Big fan. Really love Fight Club. Appreciate Seven, although the subject matter is tough. But I do like the look of the film. So, yeah, I'm a fan of his work. I was not big on uh, what was the one he did about the uh, – uh, the the crime, the... Uh, Zodiac. Zodiac. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of Zodiac at all. That one tried my patience, but at really? least it looked really good. I um, agree. So, you know, I'm on board with whatever Fincher wants to try. I'm at least willing to give it a shot and see see what he does. And with it being based off of a novel, uh, kind of a, a well-respected novel, at least I know the story is going to be kind of interesting. You know, it's not something being written just for the film. Your right. thoughts on Fincher and the film here? I'm... <sighs> Fincher is an interesting director. I don't really usually care for the subject matter he goes after. Right. Like, you know, you're saying Seven, Zodiac, all those type of things. But I am a big fan of Fight Club, and mm-hmm. I did also like The Social Network. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see what he does with it. Typically, from what you've described, the plot summary, I wouldn't be interested in, like, basic thriller-type stuff. Yeah, it, just it sounds like thriller. a run-of-the-mill uh, Morgan Freeman, Ashley Judd movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. yes. So typically, I wouldn't be interested in it. But hearing the director... I am interested. And the acting involved isn't, you know, Ben Affleck, yeah. not a big fan. So, well, I think Fincher alone's the draw there. And sure. I am curious just him adapting a, a well respected novel. So, could be interesting. So, I'm looking forward to that one. That's, uh, I think I mentioned that's coming out in October, looks like. Okay. What's another one you have on your list? Uh, another one that I am hoping is going to be released, but, you know, you never know. They can move things, especially with this director, Terry Gilliam. He mm-hmm. has a movie called The Zero Theorem, mm-hmm. and it's been kind of in the works. It was actually slated to come out in 2013. Obviously, it didn't come out yet. So hopefully, it will come out uh, in 2014. But it has Matt Damon, Christoph Waltz, Ben uh, Whishaw, yeah, Tilda Waltz. Swinton, David Thewlis. So it's got kind of an awesome cast. Supposedly, there again, you know, who knows if this is what the movie's about. It's a Terry Gilliam film. But a computer hacker's goal to discover the reason for human existence is continuously interrupted because the management keeps sending things to distract him from actually figuring out what like the goal of human existence. It's like, mm-hmm. it seems very Brazil. Yeah. I was going to say that sounds like a little bit of that. And I mean, and a little bit of 12 monkeys too, you know, where he True. had the, uh, the future scenes with Bruce Willis kind of interacting with this panel of people, you know, I kind of <laughs> get that kind of feel from it from what I hear described of it. Sure. But I'm, I'm a big Terry Gilliam fan. And sure. Even the things that he's never been able to do. He was going to do the Don, the Don Quixote, Quixote movie, film, which, which I had heard rumors that it's starting back up again. Oh, man. And <laughs> just like, I like even something like Tideland, which was tough to watch, tough mm-hmm. subject matter, but it's still interesting. He's got a very unique vision and a sure. unique take on things. So I'm got my fingers crossed that it'll well, come out. And I'm Fisher King. It's one of my all time oh, okay, favorites. Yeah. So that's uh, sure. I'm, I'm on board with this one as well. Um, okay, let me throw a little curveball here, a little one that's 
I didn't. I had to really think about whether I'm anticipating this movie. The more I think about it, I'm like, nope. This is. Let's mm, give it a shot. Okay. Sin City, a Dame to Kill for. <laughs> so they're making a second Sin City movie okay. now. If this were a direct video or some cheap knockoff, no, would not have any interest at all. I thought the first Sin City was really fascinating to watch. Not a great movie. Right. But a fascinating one to watch from a style standpoint, cinematography, the look, the feel, the pulp, the pulp feel of the whole movie. Right. Was really cool. Agreed. So they're making a sequel, and that's and it's not just a knockoff sequel. I mean, there were a whole series of Sin City books, books, so it's right. like they've got several stories they could tell. Sure. But Rod, Robert Rodriguez and Frank Miller are both coming back and doing this one. So it is true sequel, not a knockoff of did it. Rodriguez was the sole director on the first one, or did Tarantino no, direct a little bit of it? Or? I think, well, it was rumored Tarantino had a little bit to do with it, but Frank Miller was technically credited as co-director, okay. I believe, Okay. where supposedly some scenes were done by Frank, some by Robert. Gotcha. Uh, this one is starring Josh Brolin, who's okay. kind of on a little bit of a role with some big big pictures lately. Eva Green, who I really like. Okay. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, okay. uh, Jessica Alba is back. She was in the first one as well. So, you know, I'm... I mean, I'm interested in seeing what happens with this. If it matches the same personality and uniqueness that the first one did and had some, has some compelling stories to tell, I'm on board. Uh, if it's all just let's just try to recapture the same feel and cram it into another movie, I think it'll be pretty obvious early on. Sure. I, I thought it was interesting to see the style of the first one. Mm-hmm. I didn't really care for the story, and I've only watched it once. That kind of mm-hmm. tells you how I feel about it. But um, this one probably wouldn't have any interest. It'll be interesting to see how much of a pull or how much Joseph Gordon-Levitt is going to be in it because yeah. I really like him. Sure. So. It's kind of like how Ethan uh, – uh, well, not Ethan. Um, the Hobbit. What's the Hobbit guy? Oh, Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood, yeah. It's kind of like how Elijah Wood was in the first film, kind of playing a little bit against type. I kind of hope they go a little nuts with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Let him yeah. play something really dark and dangerous. It would be kind of fun. Mm-hmm. So Sin City, A Dame to Kill For is uh, slated right now for August 22nd. Okay. We'll see if that holds or not. All right, you got another one for us? <laughs> um, yes, and I imagine it's probably on your list because I can't uh, imagine. I know where you're going be. with this. Yeah. Uh, Inherent Vice. Oh, no, I forgot about that one. No, okay. No, no, you're totally right, but yeah, I completely forgot about it. <laughs> okay. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson's mm-hmm. Inherent Vice is supposed to be coming out. You've been really, the intern has served you well by giving you all the release dates for your yes. films. <laughs> uh, um, I don't know that, but it's. I imagine it's probably going to be October, November. I think so. They haven't even released a trailer yet or anything. And normally trailers are five, six months out. So, yeah. Um, but it's it's a crime story from mm-hmm. the 1970s based on a book by Thomas Pynchon and follows a detective. And I just think Paul Thomas Anderson doing this type of movie will be interesting. Yes. Was I the biggest fan of The Master? No. But I still admired a lot of the qualities of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got Joaquin Phoenix working with him again. So that's becoming his new go-to guy, it looks like. So. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Owen Wilson. That's interesting. Be kind of odd. Uh, Benicio Del Toro, Reese hmm. Witherspoon, and Martin Short. Wow. So. Now, I have heard, I could be wrong on this, okay. and please, everybody, all of our millions of listeners, please write in and tell me how wrong I am. Sure. Uh, I believe this one is going a little more on the comic side than maybe, really? uh, my understanding is a drug uh, drug-induced detective work, and uh, that could be interesting. Yeah. Uh, maybe they're going a little bit like they did with, uh, uh, what was it, the uh, Robert, uh, Robert Altman film where he did the, uh, the, 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 spot, the detective movie. Um, oh, yeah, The Long Goodbye. With Elliot, El, the Elliot Long Goodbye Gould. with Elliot yeah. Gould, yeah, that's yeah. it. Right. Which is a little more of a little bit of comedy mm-hmm. mixed in with a little bit of a and true detective a crime. Yeah. Movie, right. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the feel I'm getting from what I'm hearing, especially with the casting, having like Martin Short, Noah Wilson. Okay. I got a feeling we're not going to have quite the same serious PT Anderson we've had in his last couple films, which I'm, I'm ready for that. Yeah. I'm okay. It'd be kind of going back a little bit to the boogie nights mm-hmm. or punch truck love, maybe a little bit feel to it as opposed to that. There will be blood and the master, which were, not Heavy. very humorous um, <laughs> at all. So, right. Um, no, I'm very, very intrigued by that. He's still one of my favorite directors right now. And I really, really enjoyed The Master and uh, Boogie Nights and Magnolia are both two of my favorite films. So, so far we're hitting directors where you and I share some of our favorites sure. somewhere in their filmography there. So, 
Uh, okay, well, let me bring up one that I know is going to be on your list then. We've okay. already talked about it on the show several times, but the Grand Budapest Hotel. Sure. Uh, Wes Anderson coming out March 7th. That one will be out pretty soon by the time people are listening to this episode. True. Uh, we've already talked about it, so I won't go into too much detail on it, but Ray Fiennes, Sasha Ronan, uh, Bill Murray, some of his typical cast of characters he's got in this film just looks to be very, very fun. And I'll admit, I was the guy just a couple years ago saying, <laughs> I really wish he would do something different. Right. I really just don't like him doing the same thing over and over again. He's going to have to break out of this. Then he did Moonrise Kingdom. And I'm like, you know what? Now nah, he's fine. He can just keep doing the films he wants to do. Because well, that, that had just enough of a heart and emotion to it. Well, still keeping with his same quirky style. And I really enjoyed it. Well, I actually, I, in Fantastic Mr. Fox, he kind of yeah. went out of the mold for Moonrise Kingdom, I almost felt like he was trying to make too many serious points almost mm. for a start. And so, I mean, I still liked it. I think, seemingly, from the mm. preview, this is just like, no, I am making this to have fun. It's <laughs> this a, does so, look like a big fun movie. Right. It's It's got design and style, but it also looks like it's just going to be fun. Like, yeah. if he was doing The Hangover, this is what it would look like. Because <laughs> it's about, you know, people running around. It just it's a little more like a slapstick comedy, a little more Keystone Caper type of thing. So right. Keystone Cops, yeah, it could be. I uh, it looks that way from the trailer for sure. Um, I just hope he doesn't go so quirky and so Wes Anderson ish that it be, just becomes <laughs> a cliche by the end of the film. That's my only fear of it, really. Otherwise, I'm really looking forward to this. Should be a lot of fun, you know. And you wonder if he's aware if he'll take an opportunity in this film to actually. Make fun of the cliche, like you know, could be, it, you know, could be a little self reflection in the film if he goes, right. if he plays his cards right. So, right, good. Uh, you got any other films to point out? I do. I have one more, and this is yeah. kind of the one that I'm very hesitant about because I guess, unfortunately, I was watching the Super Bowl. I could not unsee it. Yeah, but I, I saw a preview for Noah. Yeah, and you know, it's Darren Aronofsky and. Doing the story of a story from the Bible about you know Noah's Ark, I'm like okay, but Darren Aronofsky doing it, mm. okay, and you know the cast is impressive. It's not like he has a bunch of no names and spent all the money on effects. He has Russell Crowe, Jennifer Connelly, Emma Watson, Anthony Hopkins. I mean he's got he's got some good people. Yeah, but I am worried because I don't know. I guess just the tone of the trailer did make it look to be just a special effects spectacle. So. Yeah, and let me, I'll give you a little background on the film too. I'm curious about the film. Okay. But I'm more curious to see did, does he pull it off? Uh, okay. Because rumors are is that there have been a lot of conflicts between he and the movie studio about who gets final cut. Last word yeah. I heard is that they are letting him release his final cut version of the film. Okay. But for a long time, there was a lot of back and forth about his vision for the film being very different than what the studio had in mind. Hmm. A lot of money's going into this movie as a very expensive, expensive production. I mean, it got a Super Bowl commercial. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I think there's a lot riding on the film. I think there's a lot of nervous people around the film. Um, and also there seems to be a little bit of a surgence right now in films about biblical stories being made. So I think everybody's going to be watching to see how does this film do to see if they keep pushing forward with these other projects or not. Since you so, mentioned that, yeah, <laughs> um, one that I know very little about, but I'll go ahead and say, I wasn't going to mention it, but I'll go ahead and say, um, yeah, apparently Ridley Scott, supposedly in 2014, is also doing Exodus with yep. Joel Edgerton, Sigourney Weaver, Christian Bale, John Turturro. I mean, there again. Yep, it's another one. The subject matter, you know, everybody knows the story, but put it in the hands of a director like that and give that cast – yeah, it'd be kind of hard not to be interested in. Yeah. So that is another, I will say that's another one. So I think there again, if, if Noah really just bombs, <laughs> bombs tanks, washes out, sinks. whatever we want to say, sinks, <laughs> um, it could be disastrous for some of these other productions that are that are slated to come out later as well. So, All right, well, let me give one more uh, okay. that I don't think you'll be as excited about because I know your opinions of their last film, but Uh-oh. you know I'm going to bring it up anyway. Okay. Uh, the Interview. Uh, this is <laughs> James oh. Franco, Seth Rogen. Another film done by Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen, just like This Is The End was from earlier this year that you did not like. I did. Uh, I did. I thought it was very funny. This is uh, it's about a talk show host played by James Franco and his producer getting caught up in an international assassination plot with a CIA agent. It's going to be a comedy. Uh, you know, I really like This Is The End. I like the more improvisational style of it and just the, the fun environment of it all. I don't know if that's the tone they're going for with this one, but I am curious just because 
I think they they hit a good mark with that last film, and I'm curious to see what they do as a group following up. Sure. You, I realize you're going to wait and pass judgment based well, on what you hear about it, but... I'll say this. At least they're not playing themselves. <laughs> True. Um, it does not look like they are. And I, I like James Franco. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm one of the few people, I think, who actually thought he did a good job in Oz, the Great and Powerful. So I'm interested to see him play like a reporter where... It, you know, I, I think it'll probably be okay. Hopefully it will be funny. Who knows? So I'm not as excited as you, but yeah. you know, I am curious to see what they do after the huge success of uh, this is the end. Well, um, somebody just asked, do you have any other kind of just random ones you just want to quickly list out other ones on your list that you know you're really excited about seeing? Well, let's see. You did. I was, wasn't going to mention Nexus, but I ended up mentioning that one. Let me just check here. We're use, I'm using Letterboxd because it's an awesome site. Well, and that's, that's where I have absolutely. my Absolutely. That's, that's, that's where we are. Um, let's see. Transcendence, which has Johnny Depp and is... Uh-oh. Yeah. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious because it is Wally Pfister, who is cinematographer for uh, a lot of Christopher Nolan's films. Right. So the look of it should be really cool. It's just, man, I've seen the trailer for this, and ah, see, I don't know. See, I have know. not seen a trailer. I don't know. Okay. I mean, I'm just saying it could be good. It could be a complete disaster. disaster. So, Okay. Um, two more. There's um, Midnight Special, which is by Jeff Nichols, who did oh, right. um, Mud, and he mm-hmm. did uh, Take Shelter. It also stars Michael Shannon. And the only description I have for it is just a father and son go on the run after the dad learns his child possesses special powers so hmm. there again i guess it's the whole sci-fi element that has me interested sure um but in the cast michael shannon Kristen Dunst, joel edgerton so and the director mm-hmm. so i'm interested in that one and then i guess let's see uh one more which is called boyhood oh right okay yes. and it's mm-hmm. richard linklater yep and it's the story behind this one is that he's been filming a little bit of it over the course of like 10 years or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it follows the story of a boy who sees his parents get divorced and then like follows him for the next couple of years. So I don't know, Richard Linklater, I like his stuff. So we'll see, you know, it it could be rather uninteresting, I guess, but just the, I admire the technique of trying to document the story, but semi documenting in real time by taking a break and filming it off. Well, the whole real time thing is fascinating to me. Just the fact that we're going to watch a, you know, 90 minute, two hour movie, whatever it may be. And over the course of that time, you're honestly going to see people age. It's not special effects. It's not makeup. It's especially when it comes to the kid, the kid is going to grow before our eyes, which I mean, to me is still just fascinating. I still think that's going to be just a lot of fun to see. Very interesting. Whether or not the story around it is going to hold up, I don't know. We'll definitely see. But I am also very curious to see how that turns out. And it's got a collaborator that he's done the whole before midnight, before sunset, all that stuff. It's got Ethan Hawke in it. And I think mm-hmm. he's playing the dad. Okay. So it'll be interesting to see, too. You know, you're going to get to see him grow, I assume, because he'll be with the kid. And he'll get to you know become 10 years older. Because it says, the description says, age 6 to age 17, 18. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are big it's 11, 12 years. years. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So, it'll be very interesting to watch. If nothing else, it'll be an interesting experiment on film. Uh, hopefully, it's got enough of a story around it to keep it going as well. Agreed. That's all I got. You well, got the only thing, only other ones I'll mention are just my geek comic book movies that ah. I just still have to have on the radar. I mean, okay. I'm being very hesitant in saying that I'm holding these up with too much anticipation because these are the kind of films that could really, really disappoint people very easily. Sure. But I will say the new Godzilla film I'm very curious about. (laughs) Gareth Gareth Edwards directing looks to be a much, much more serious take on the film. Remind me who Gareth Edwards is. He did the film Monsters. Okay. Um, That was kind of the very realistic centered uh, about creatures attacking. Um, Good movie. Uh, Captain America 2. Sorry. Trailer looks awesome. Does it? It does. It does look <laughs> okay. awesome. It looks it looks over the top. It looks very busy, but it looks awesome. Uh, does may, the Robert Redford cameo scare you? No, not at all. Actually, I think that Even adds a whole like level. Lost, you're like, I think that it. adds a whole level of legitimacy to the whole thing as well. So I'm good with that. <laughs> okay. Uh, whew, amazing Spider-Man 2. Man, I'm interested and want to see it, but every time I see more and more footage from it or anything, it just looks so over the top overdone. You know, I'm very nervous about interestingly it. Interestingly enough, not excited about, um, the first two you mentioned yeah. at all. My son's been watching on Netflix, the ultimate Spider-Man cartoon yeah. series. Mm-hmm. 
And it seems like a lot of those storylines are going to be involved in this new movie. Yeah. And it has made me interested in it, I guess, because I saw his excitement when he saw, I think they also had a Super Bowl trailer maybe for the Spider-Man They did, movie. yes. Mm-hmm. And he was just like going nuts for it. So It looks cool. It's just, man, there's a lot going on in this movie. And I'm just, I'm very nervous about it just being overdone and too many characters, too many villains, too many things, too much CGI. Is the first one? It is. Okay. The first Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, right. Since right. the reboot. So very curious about that. And last one I'll mention there, um, again, keeping with my comic book geek side. Sure. Uh, Marvel's got a film called Guardians of the Galaxy coming out. Wait a second. Mm-hmm. You're mentioning that and not the X-Men movie. No, I'm not mentioning the X-Men movie. I'm really not interested in that. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you why. Are you I, being serious? Yeah, I'm being serious. Really? I, saw, I saw the trailer for it, and the trailer has not grabbed me. And every time I hear more and more characters are being jammed in this movie, I'm like, this is going to be an absolute disaster. Now, see, I haven't seen the trailer. The trailer's and, not very encouraging. I haven't been following any hype. I just know that it's Fastbender and whatever the guy it is. It is, and that's Scott why I'm, I, I guess I'm just going in with very low expectations, because no. every time I turn around, they're blending the old X-Men group and right. the new X-Men group. Right. And there's like... 40 characters they've announced. The really confusing title that we talked about, Days of Future Past. Days of Future Past, which is based on a a classic storyline, so that's cool. But it's like 40 different characters all grammed in this movie. Every time I hear, oh, we've just hired this guy to play this part, and we're playing this part and this part. It's like so many people. How are you going to get this into a two-hour movie? Hmm. Um, And plus, Brian... Singer? Brian Singer's very hit or miss for me right now. I liked his first two X-Men movies. Uh, did not like his Superman movie at all. Right. You were not alone um, in that. <laughs> and then, you know, the guy who did Matthew Vaughn was the one who did the last X-Men movie, First Class, which I really, really liked. Right. He's not doing this one. Brian Singer's come back to this now. Okay. So that's just got me very worried. <laughs> huh. So uh, anyway, I know it's not on my list. I mean, I'll go see it, but I'm not eagerly anticipating it. Okay. So now Guardians of the Galaxy is a true Marvel Marvel film. That's like in the world of the Avengers and everything. Okay. These are space heroes though. Chris Platt, uh, Chris Pratt, who is Parks and Recreation guy, is the lead star. He was in her. Mm-hmm. Okay, I he's, didn't know he's Star Lord. He is the main big guy. This is a this is a it's team the one with of the squirrel, right? An yeah, Rocket squirrel. Raccoon. Yep. And has Benicio del Toro as a good guy or a bad guy? He's a bad guy. Okay. And you've got Vin Diesel as the voice of Groot, the giant tree that, uh, taught walking, talking tree. Okay. Yeah. It's a very um, eclectic group and it's also more humorous based than your other superhero well, with movies. Chris Pratt. Gordon. Yeah. It's definitely going for more laughs. They're kind of the has been second run type of characters. Huh. And I think they're going for more of that. James Gunn is the director who has done more comedy work than he's done action work. Okay. So it's going to be a very interesting, different movie for Marvel to release in between mm-hmm. all their Avengers, Captain America, big, big tentpole movies. They're dropping this one in with a pretty big budget. And it's the um, one they had a tease for at the end of the second Thor movie. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. The Benicio del Toro character right. was in that tease. So huh. anyway, I'm curious about those, but they're not making my top tier list just because those movies still make me nervous. They could, you could really just come out of there so upset and angry, like I did in Man of Steel and several other movies in recent years. Gotcha. So with that, 2014, lots of movies coming out. We're very interested in seeing. We haven't even scratched the surface of the whole list. I know we've got a lot more we could talk about at some point. But those are the ones that probably rise to the surface for us to really think about. Mm-hmm. So Chris, let's cap off the show here by talking about a good recommendation, a film that we think you ought to check out uh, that maybe you've missed in the past, maybe didn't get quite as much love as it should have. And Chris, I'm anxious to hear what is your recommendation for people to check out on this episode? Well, thinking about music and people that may have difficult personalities and thinking of our earlier review of uh, Inside Lewin Davis, I'm going to go with the documentary from 2012, Beware of Mr. Baker. Mm-hmm. And it documents... Ginger Baker, who was the drummer for Cream and Blind Faith, Mm -hmm. and he is a very interesting individual. I didn't know anything about him, and the director traveled to Africa and over a series of interviews kind of gets out of him his, you know, life story, but the video or the movie actually starts off with the director getting punched in the face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's kind of from Mr. Baker himself. Wow. Yes. So a little bit of synergy back with Inside Lewin Davis as well. well there so, you go. Okay. Um, so just a very interesting film. And to the thing where I didn't know much about Ginger Baker prior, 
I can see that he is really a genius and an incredible musician. And even though I don't li- admire him or don't like him, mm-hmm. he was fascinating to stay with a documentary for. So highly recommend it. Okay, very cool. Well, mine has a little bit of connection inside Lewin Davis as well, because I'm going to bring up a film that I think we even mentioned during our review of Inside Lewin Davis. Okay. It is also by the Coen brothers. And it's the film that I honestly think is more of the, I see as the companion piece to Inside Lewin Davis as far as their filmography. And that's A Serious Man. Okay. Now, I know that we screened this at Foot Candle years ago. I don't know if we were doing the podcast at that time or not. I we were. I don't think we have. So we didn't really do an official review of this film. Right. But I will say, I love this film. I, I thought it was great. At the time, it was one of those where I know our audience was very mixed on how they felt about it at the mm-hmm. end of the film. Yes. I thought it was great. And part of the reasons I really liked it, first off, it was another period movie. So it's also set in the 60s, a few years after mm-hmm. Lewin Davis would have been. I think this was around 67 or so. But it is another one of those things where we've got a character who's just going down a path of things going wrong around him. The difference is with this guy, Larry Gopnik, played by Michael Stuhlbarg, who's great in this film. Yes, he is. Is that he's a good guy. He's just having a lot of crappy things happen to him <laughs> one after another. It isn't, it isn't really because of choices he's making. It's just, that's just life, you right. know? Where Lewin Davis, I think, yes, some stuff was happening to him. A lot of it was self-induced. Sure. Along the way, you do kind of end on a very down note, much like you could almost argue Lewin Davis does. Right. Um, but it's just you're following this one character as he's going through these trials and tribulations and issues throughout his life. So, again, I see it as kind of a companion piece. It's like two sides of the coin almost. Mm-hmm. But you're fa- watching a very fascinating character for almost two hours and feeling for him as he's going through what he's having to go through. Anyway, I really liked it. I like the fact that they really went with no lead main actor for this one either. Michael Stuhlbarg, nobody knew this guy. So again, like Lewin Davis with Oscar Isaac, kind of cast an unknown, which I think was a great move in both of these films. Mm -hmm. I think we could really build our own character that we're watching on film instead of having any baggage carried on from somebody we would recognize. So great choices on both these films. I do see them as very similar I like A Serious Man a little bit better than Inside Lewin Davis, but I still like them both. Sure. Um, so anyway, A Serious Man, I do. If you've seen Lewin Davis and you haven't seen A Serious Man, you ought to go check out A Serious Man because I think it'd be an interesting uh, double feature in a way almost to watch. Yeah, it's like Lewin Davis without a soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the music isn't as big a deal. Sure. Uh, this has a lot more to do with faith and religion. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of that going on there where we didn't really have as much of that in Lewin Davis. So, right. Anyway, so that's our uh, recommendations for right now as well. So we reviewed Inside Lewin Davis. We reviewed blank insert film name. <laughs> Uh, we talked about 2014 films coming out, and we had our recommendations. The documentary you mentioned, and I already forgot the name of it again. Uh, Beware of Mr. Baker. Beware of Mr. Baker mm-hmm. and the Cone Brothers, A Serious Man. So with that, we're going to wrap up the show. Uh, again, if you want to go back and listen to some older episodes or hear us talk about the Oscars, you can go back and find our archives on TheMesh.tv, or you can go on to Apple, iTunes, Podcast Store, and search for Foot Candle Films and find us right there. Uh, and we'd love to hear feedback from you. If you've got any questions or thoughts on the things we talked about in the film, you can reach us at uh, the, the mesh.tv website where we have a contact us form. You can also go to our film society page, which is footcandle.org, and you can reach out to us there as well. We'd love to hear from you. Give us some ratings on iTunes. Give us some feedback on the website. We always like engaging in dialogue with our listeners. So, Chris, until next time, uh, when we will review maybe another couple movies and talk about some other movie news. Until then, uh, we'll see everybody next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Toller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Toller, visit www.carpaltoller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.